0: Today we can conclude the first uh, section of what, what, what of the Gospel of Luke called the birth and infancy narrative. It's chapters 1 and chapter 2. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. When we left Joseph and Mary last week, uh, Jesus was a baby. He was just a baby. And we noted even as a baby, he kept the law. <laughs> How did he keep the law? His parents kept the law. So even passively, Jesus as a baby was keeping the law. And we ended last week in chapter 2, verse 40. And I want you to take your Bibles, your iPad, your phone, whatever it is you might look at with the Scripture. And take a look at it and, and go to Luke chapter 2. And, and I want you to look at this in verse 39 and 40. Verse 39 and 40 of Luke chapter 2. It says, When they, that's Joseph and Mary, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child, that's Jesus... Continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Understand that from birth, 40 days after his birth, say 40 days after birth, to, till 12 years of age, this is all we know about Jesus. <laughs> That's all we know from 40 days old to 12 years old as we open the passage today. That's all we know. And apparently, according to Luke, it's all we need to know. To know for sure. Keep Luke's purpose in mind as we study. Keep that purpose in mind. He's writing so that we will have certainty, sureness, conviction about who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us. And it makes this next section all the more, can I say, intriguing. Think about it. We're going to open the passage in a moment. He's 12. We're going to see one incident in his life and we will know nothing else about Jesus until he's 30. So Luke takes 18 years and chooses one incident and says this is the one thing you need to know in order to know for sure. It just freights the passage with weight and significance. The passage is like a gift. I'll I'll describe it this way. It's like a beautifully wrapped gift. And verses 41 all the way to 48 are the the packaging. And then verse 52 is the box that it comes in. It's all wrapped up beautifully. And then inside this package is a gift. Verses 49, 50, and 51. And what we're going to do is we're just going to unwrap the package. I'm just going to walk through the the passage and unwrap the package. Then we're going to take the gift and we're going to just look at it. We're going to consider what it means for us and what it means for where we are in life today. Now, you notice we're doing something different today and i going to teach first and then we're going to respond uh, in, in, in song. We're going to worship in song. So that's going to come later. So I want you to know that now so you don't feel antsy when we get later and you're going, oh my gosh, I've got to go pick up the kids, etc. We've built into the schedule. We're going to end with, you know, normally 20 minutes where we respond in song so you can know that's coming. Follow along in your Bibles with me. Take a look at verses 41 and 42. I'm going to walk us through and unwrap the gift Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. Now, let's stop there and get our geography right. To travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem is probably a three or a four day journey. I've got a, 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 you know, a Google map I want you to see up here just to get some context for uh, what they went through. They went up, it says, they went up every, went up again, up to Jerusalem. Even you're going to see they're going south here. They went up to Jerusalem every year. Jesus is now 12. Jesus goes with him. We don't know if Jesus went every year or if this is the first time Jesus went up. But take a look at the the map on the side screen and you'll see, of course, we've got the, the, the Israel is this, you know, this is Israel, this section here, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee up there. Now, it, it's, a, it's a walk. If you were to walk today, start walking today and go to Cookville. That's how far they would go. Now, you wouldn't, they wouldn't walk on interstates. I mean, they're walking on roads up and down, ravines sideways. Again, three to four day journey. It, so you've got Jerusalem is right about there and Nazareth is right up there. So you got all that 70 plus 80 miles that you go down. Now, you had to go through Samaria, not through it, around it, which made the trip even longer. Okay, so every year they would go up. I mean, what is, you know, what is it about Mary and Joseph? They they went up every year. Yes, why? They're going to do everything to raise this boy under the regulations of God's law. When they got to Jerusalem, you're going into a city that would be normally 70,000 people. And at the feast of the Passover, it would swell to 200,000 people. Huge, hustling, bustling place. And, and and when they when when Passover was going on, you know, you're talking about blood and burnt offerings, all this stuff going on. What was the Passover? The Passover was that celebration they celebrate every year. When they would commemorate that God had, get all this imagery in your mind, they'd commemorate when God redeemed them from slavery, rescued them, saved them out of bondage. That's what Passover was celebrating. And how did God redeem them out of bondage? On the night before he rescued them after 400 years of slavery, he said, slay an unblemished lamb, kill it, take its blood and put it on the doorposts of your home. This is in Egypt. And At that night, the death angel passed over any home that had blood on it. So if your home had blood on it, if it was, again, get this in your head. If your house was covered in the blood of the lamb, the death angel passed over your home and you lived. If you had no blood on your home, you weren't covered by the blood of the lamb, the death angel took the firstborn in that home. And they celebrated this. Can you imagine? There's all this imagery going on. They get to Jerusalem. And I've got some pictures here just to give you an idea of what Jesus saw. And I'm showing you these because Jesus, if, whether this is his first time or he did it once a year, when he came to Jerusalem, I mean, it's like coming from, you know, some little place in South Alabama and then showing up in New York City. And, oh, you know, it, it, was, it was from nowheresville, Right? To, to the, the city of God. This is a picture from our trip last year when we went to Israel. we're standing, by the way, you're facing west. And you're standing here on the Mount of Olives. And you're looking west and the Dome of the Rock. This is the Temple Mount here. And I'll give you a better perspective in a moment. But right below you is the Kidron Valley. Okay, and this is what Jesus, when he, when, when he came into to Jerusalem, he says he's gonna see this massive city. One of the, the, you know, when we came into Jerusalem, I've said this to you before, but I'm telling you, the hair on the back of my neck just stood up. I mean, we came through this tunnel and there it was. The city of God. Jesus had to feel something similar, if not way beyond that, on steroids. Now, Take a look at uh, this model in the city, which is interesting. Again, this is a model of the city. So you see people standing here. What you're looking at is up there, we were looking at a model so you could see the scale size. You get some idea. What did this place look like when Jesus came? Well, you know The size of the buildings and the scope. And, and I've got a perspective here. You'll get the next slide. There's a bird in the city. Okay, so you, so you get some idea what this model looks like, right? Okay, the scope of it. So when Jesus came into this city, all this white marble, all this, and in particular, the next slide, the temple mount where all the sacrifices are taking place. Can you imagine how massive this was? Again, this is the model. The little bird was over here. Can you imagine how massive this felt to Jesus, to Mary and Joseph as they came in? And in that temple, they were killing lambs and blood was flowing like a river and it was being put on the altar. And they were making, They they were burning offerings. There was smell and all that's going on. And can you imagine the mind and heart of a 12-year-old boy, Jesus. Smelling it. Seeing it with eyes unlike any eyes in the city. So we're going to see in a moment he's incredibly self-aware. And he's seeing all that. And taking all that in verse 43 on says as they were returning after spending the full number of days by the way there was Passover then there was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread Feast of Unleavened Bread so Passover is like you could do that you know, two days but then there were seven days of Unleavened Bread that many people didn't stay and celebrate but looky here Joseph and Mary we're going to stay the whole time <laughs> we're going to stay to the end of the movie this time we're going to stay to the end of the game you know, they stay the whole time why? because they're going to do everything they can To raise this boy under the law of God. They stayed the whole time. And afterwards they're returning after that. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days they found him in the temple. Sitting in the midst of the teacher's both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. You know, they traveled in that time. I showed you the first slide to show you the distance they would go. You know, they would travel in caravans. It was very dangerous to travel. People got robbed, you know, assaulted along the way. And so they would travel in large groups. And normally they would put the children up front. Why? Because their little legs would set the pace. If dad was in front, you know, then we're going to be going like this. Come on! You know, they're dragging. But they put the kids in front. The wives generally in front. The dads behind. It was a three days journey there and back. Again, not a safe journey, which is why they stayed together. One day, when they, when they got there, celebrated, seven days celebrated, they leave. They go one day out, okay? Jesus is missing. And, and you go, well, how could he? Well, easy, you know. Joseph thought he was up front. Mary thought he was in back. A 12-year-old boy in that day is not generally like 12-year-olds today. Remember, in that day, a 12-year-old girl could be married, 12, 13, 14. So, so they're very mature in, not just physically, but in their, their mindset and their, their, their temperance, etc. They're quite mature. And so there's a lot of independence. And so it's very easy to see how they would, you know, misplace Jesus. When they go back, so they're one day out. He, he's missing. It takes a day to get back. They spend that last day looking in Jerusalem. They find him. There's your three days. They found him sitting with teachers of God's word. And they found him listening and asking questions. And this is a time to stop and go, okay, let's stop for a minute. What's this tell us? What's it mean to us? Well, let me, let me, let's take it this way. Jesus took time to listen to and learn about God's word. He's in there listening, asking questions. And you go, wait, wait, he's the son of God. I mean, he... He knew all that beforehand. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Please understand. In his humanity, he was a baby. When he was four years old, he didn't understand quantum physics. He, you know, he didn't he didn't know that, though he was God. He was human. He had to learn. He had to learn things. And Jesus, Jesus himself, put himself in a place to listen to, to learn what God had revealed. And the application, of course, somewhat, somewhat obvious. I'm not going to beat you over the head. And I don't think Bill nor I or nor Michael would hopefully never do that. You know, read your Bibles. Come on. Get, you know, that doesn't motivate anyone. And so instead of that, let's just, let's just note what Jesus did. And let's just sit and let's consider this. The boy that we're reading about. The man who lived a perfect life. Who took our sin upon himself. Who was buried and raised three days later. This son of God. Who is alive right now. The one who redeemed us and rescued us from all our shame and fear and sin and rebellion. And removed us, redeemed us from under the weight of the law. This Jesus, this Jesus put himself in a place to learn what God had revealed. And and we only fool ourselves to think we would move forward in faith, in growth, in hope. Apart from doing the same thing. Verse 48. Well, when they saw him. They were astonished. And his mother said to him. Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. If if you're a parent in here today. It's not difficult to put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes. I remember being at a you know, a high school graduation for, for my niece and 6A school down in Georgia and we're in this huge football stadium and, and you know, the, 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 we're standing up, the thing ends and you know what, in just an instant, it's kind of like one of my, one of my kids is, is gone, right? And my brother's there and, you know, it's, every parent in the room knows this feeling, man. It's just like, you, I don't even like to talk about it because of what it creates in you, the, the, just what it does, But in that moment, I looked at my brother and he and I, it's like, I lot, we knew. And he knew, go to the exits. And I knew, you know, get, you know, it's just, you just utter panic. Fear just overcomes you in that moment. And of course, when you find the child, well, you don't know whether to strangle him. You know, what'd you do this for me? You know, or or hug him. I'm so glad you're here. And what what happens? We do both. And that's exactly what Mary does in this situation. Why'd you do this? You know, and thank God, you know, we found you. So the, so the package is unwrapped, okay? And then 52, you know, he kept increasing. So the package is unwrapped. Here we go. Here's the gift. Here's the gift. And let me tell you what, what makes this gift even more precious. These are the first recorded words of Jesus the Messiah. He said a lot, I'm sure, you know, in those 12 years, in those 18 years. These are the only ones we got. And these are the first words that we have recorded. Verse 49, and he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house or about my father's affairs? I guess it's been six or eight months ago. Um, It was a weekend and uh, on a Saturday... And uh, Lisa went up into um, my son's, to, into Darden's room, and it was a mess, which is not unusual. So it's Saturday, and Lisa's exasperated because, you know, she does everything for him. She puts their clothes there. All they got to do is so. So she comes, you know, she she gets comes to me and she says, "I can't believe his room. I can't even walk in it, you know." And 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 I said to her, "I said, um, I will tell Darden." to clean up his room and, and she said it's it needs to be cleaned. before he goes to school on Monday, right? So the weekend goes by. I forget to tell him. It's Monday. Lisa calls me. The kids have gone to school and she's upset with me. And honey, I'm not I'm not saying this to demean you at all. You know, this she's rightly upset with me. You know, she's like, this the kids' rooms you know, she's there by herself. Now I get in the house and his room is a pit." right? And so she's taking it out on me, you know, and rightly so. And so I'm going, oh, darn. You know, and so I said, I'll talk to him when I get home. So day goes by, I get home. I go up in his room and I unleash on him. <laughs> and man, I'm telling you, you know, it's one of those, you laugh now, but at the time you just go, man, I, I, I could have hurt him. I, I was so mad and angry, and he knows the cleanser. and he and I just started going, you know, we're just having a war, and, all, and finally, it was one of those where we just said, time out. Uh, I need to stop, and you need to stop, and we're going to talk about this tonight, and you know, just got to get away from this and step back from it before we physically hurt each other or say something, you know, that we're going to truly, truly regret. So we waited, ate dinner, and that night I go up into rooms right before bed, and I, and I go in. I said, let's talk about this, you know, what, what happened and I'm still mad as a hornet and he is too, you know, and so he says, Dad, can I tell you what I can I tell you what I think happened? And I said, Yeah. And he said, I want you to know, I know I'm supposed to pick up my room. So I know that and I didn't. I and I, I, I'm owning that, but but you forgot to do something. And you forgot to tell me, okay, and I know I need to do it, but you forgot. And because you forgot, mom got onto you and now you're taking it out on me. And I just was like, (laughs) "Dang! hate it when they're right, you know. And it was just, you just undid me, just just totally, spiritual autopsy on me right there, just cut through it. And it was like, it's exactly what happened. That's what's happening here. You know, Mary's like, "Ah, and Jesus turns and goes, can I tell you what's really happening? Mary, Joseph, mom and dad. And I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase what Jesus says in a way that's true to the text. I believe, but it helps us see the real issue. By the way, Jesus didn't sin in this. He didn't sin when he stayed behind. He didn't sin his, his response to Mary. Let's just put that on the table. If he did, let's all close our Bibles and go home and wait to die and absorb God's wrath. Because there will be no forgiveness of sin if Jesus sinned in this. I'm not being I'm I mean, silly. I'm going, that's the truth. He didn't sin in this. Well, what did he do? He put his finger on the problem. It's a problem Joseph and Mary had. It's a problem you and I have. I'm telling you, I struggle with this every day. Almost every moment of every day, I struggle with this problem. So here's his response in a way that helps us understand. He says, mom and dad, you're anxious because you do not trust that I am who the angel said I would be. The son of the living God. Let me come at it from another angle, a little more positive. It's as if you know Mary's "Ah," and, and Jesus says, Mom and Dad, if you truly believed that I am the Son of God, you would not be anxious right now. See, is anybody else? You know, anybody else have trouble believing Jesus is the son of God when life's going to pot around you, when things are going wrong, it's not going like, anybody else have trouble just going, no, Jesus, you are the son of God. You came, you live, you died, you're buried, you're raised again, and you are at work in my life and you're working this out even for my good and your glory. Anybody else have trouble trusting that, trusting that in moments? You know, anybody else have trouble just going, well, I'm at rest. I am resting confidently in who Jesus Christ is rather than frantically, fearfully, Going about life trying to put things together. Anybody else? we all do? Don't we struggle with that simple, profound truth? Verse 50 tells us, they don't understand the statement. I'm going to tell you something. they didn't then, but in t- excuse me, in time, they will. And then let's finish the, the package here. Verse 50 tells us. Or verse 51 concludes with something that I I think is almost incomprehensible. And here's what I mean. It's like I I can't even believe this happened. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in, continued in subjection to them. And his mother, mother treasured all these things in her heart 52 just summarizes again he kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men 51 the son of God listen submits himself to mom and Dad, this is what's incomprehensible. The son of God who, through whom the worlds were made. Genesis. The son of God who holds all things together. I mean, they have their very being. They're breathing. Their hearts are beating because of this boy, Jesus, the son of God. And this Jesus says, I'm going home and I'm going to stay under their authority in my life. This is almost incomprehensible. Well, this is the only incident we have from age 12 to age 30. And then, of course, he only lives three more years. I mean, this thing's loaded. I would suggest that the primary message is found in what Jesus says about himself. Here's the nut. Here's the gold in the passage. Here's the gift. It's what Jesus says about himself. Connect this story with the story that we read last week. Connect it all the way with Luke chapter 1. All the way up to where we've been. Luke is following Old Testament law. Anything to do with life and death. has got to have two or three witnesses. And so last week we saw Luke brought Simeon, righteous man... Anna, godly woman, two witnesses that says, this is the son of God. Connect the passage we just read. What do we have? The third witness. You see that? He says, here's the third witness. Who's the third witness? Jesus himself. My father. There's only one who could say that. My father, begotten of God. My father about his affairs, about his work in his house. And I asked the question of Simeon and Anna. Were they credible witnesses? Absolutely. Dare I ask the question. Is Jesus trustworthy? He's the sinless. Savior. Messiah. Son of God. And he's the third witness that Luke gives us. Well, the story also matters because I think in the story itself, we learn some amazing truths about faith, about spiritual growth about god 's word i 've already mentioned what I, about god 's word and so So, let me move beyond that and, and let me just offer to you three observations that you might consider. Uh, for, for for our own application, okay. What does the text mean to me now, today? What 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 lessons are here? What what truths? What principles? I'm gonna give you three. The first one I'm gonna qualify. So so hear me very carefully. I'm talking to every person in this room who still lives at home. I'm gonna say it a couple ways. I'm talking about. I'm talking to every every person in this room who you know is still. Uh, you know, you're not, you've not reached adulthood. You, you are not living, you are not making life on your own. You're not out there, a grown adult, taking care of yourself. You haven't reached that time in your life, okay? This is the first principle and this is for you. Number one, Jesus submitted himself to imperfect parents. He submitted himself To imperfect parents. And to every young man and and young woman here. Let me say the fact that your parents don't get you. The fact that, that they do make mistakes. Please hear me. Does not excuse you from removing yourself from their authority before the right time. God has placed authorities. Listen. In your life. And then we'll see in a moment in all of our lives. He's placed authority in your life for, for your good and for God's glory. When you remove yourself from mom and dad's authority, appropriate authority, early. When you remove yourself, please understand you remove yourself from their care and protection. And you put yourself in a place where you're going to be harmed. It's not good for you. And please know this. It mars the glory and the image of God when you do that. And I want you to know, younger people, there's not a parent in the room that paid me to say that to you. (laughs) Okay, They didn't pay me. Your heavenly father is saying that to you. And he never makes a mistake. And he totally gets you. And that's who's speaking now. Well, now, okay, now let me take that principle and expand it to the whole room. Okay? The New Testament certainly does. So the second application for you possibly is this. There is no spiritual growth apart from spiritual submission. Please know for everyone in the room, so now it's not just the younger men and women. I'm talking about everyone in the room. There is no spiritual growth. There is no increasing in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men apart from spiritual submission to authorities In our life. God has placed authorities in our life. As I said earlier. For our good and his glory. And the imperfections of those authorities. Wherever they are. Their imperfections. Their mistakes. Okay listen. It does not give us an excuse to remove ourselves. From that God given authority. God's timing in your life and mine is often managed through God's authorities in our life. God's direction in your life is often managed through God's authority in your life. And I'll say this, God's blessing and favor in your life and mine is often mediated through those authorities God has placed in our life. I'm going to summarize it like this. God uses imperfect authorities in our life, to work out his perfect plans and purposes. I'll say it again. God uses imperfect authorities in our life. To work out his perfect plans. Third principle. Fear makes fools of us all. Fear makes fools of us all. All. It's an axiom, of course. You've heard, you know, fatigue makes cowards of us all. I've just tweaked it over the past few months when I've been talking with people and they say, Man, how you doing? And we'll start talking about family or whatever. You know, I'll, I'll say, Oh, we're great. You know, they go, Oh, what's it like to have a teenager? You know, we've got our first teenager, you know, our son's 15, our first high school student. You know, we're just, it's all new to Lisa and I. And, and, and I will end up saying to them, I bet I've said this a half dozen times at least over the last two months. I've said, You know, if I could keep my fear. In check, I would be a much better parent. That's what I'm learning. And and what I mean by that is that when I'm fearful, you know, when I get afraid for my kids, I'm not sure. When I get fearful, I'm going to tell you what comes out when I get fearful. Anger, you know, control. And, And the truth is when I'm fearful, I'm a terrible parent. When I parent out of fear. And what I end up doing, parenting out of fear, is actually interrupting what God may be doing in my child's life and then creating tremendous havoc between my child and I. Why? Because I'm afraid. But I don't know what else to do. I'm afraid, so I'm going to do something. It's fascinating. Mary says to Jesus, now watch, we're going to take this apart. Mary says to Jesus, Son, I can't believe you've made me so anxious and fearful. Every therapist in the room. Knows what's wrong with that statement. <laughs> and Jesus knows what's wrong with Mary's statement. No one makes you feel anything. Every person is responsible for their own feelings. And their own choices. Now I'm just talking to you. This is my own journey. This is a journey out of codependence and depression. This is, this is emotional health. <laughs> when you, and Jesus knows it when you know. You know what? My feelings are mine. Mine. I'm responsible for these feelings. You're not making me feel this way. Think about what happens. It's very normal, and and there's nothing wrong with the fear that she felt. They're going home, and the kid is missing. What would you feel? I'd feel fear. That's normal. Something's wrong. I'm afraid. That's what we do with that fear, though. What did they do? Rather than walk in faith, I'm going to say it this way. They, they chose their flesh and they go, oh my gosh, we've got to faith. And they go back looking, go through all this. And so finally when she finds Jesus, what comes out of her? I'm so mad at you. I got your... You know, what comes out of her is anger. Okay? What's behind the anger? What's really going on in Mary's heart? Joseph, what's there? Fear. That's normal. That's right. You ought to be afraid your kid's missing. Now, in this situation, though, think about it. And this is where I'm going to apply it to us. In every situation in life, we've got this choice. We can choose our, to our flesh and we can choose faith. And, and so Mary, the kid's missing. I'm afraid. Now, I can choose faith. You know, think of your own life. Something happens in your life. Someone hurts you. Something goes wrong. You're not sure how we're going to make it. I'm afraid. Well, In that moment, before you take the next step, you go... Jesus Christ is the son of the living God who lived and died, was raised again. And he's in control and he rules and he reigns. He is who he said he is. And when we believe that, then our step is toward expectancy, hope. I mean, it doesn't solve the problem, but I'm expecting, I'm hopeful, I'm trusting. If I'm back here and that happens in my world and I go, I got to take care of this, I got to fix this. Then we go toward fear anxiety. Everything happens to us. Tough things happen to all of us, right? When it happens, which way are you going to step? Faith, Jesus is the son of God. Or the flesh. I I better do something. I need to fix it. And we've got that choice every day. Jesus submitted himself to imperfect parents. Parents. There's no spiritual growth apart from spiritual submission and fear. Fear will make fools of us all. We expose our foolishness when we're walking in fear. And we actually harm people. How might God be speaking to you? Just, just take those three things. Take, take what Jesus says. I, I am the son of the living God. Take that. How might, be he, how might he be calling you to apply that today? What truth might he be saying? You know, what, I'm inviting you. To trust me in this. Walk by faith. Would you consider that for a moment? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out and join me. As you consider your own step of obedience. Step of faith. Truth that he's calling you to trust. Would you consider that for a moment?